This episode is brought to you by 10XTS. 10XTS is powering the next generation of capital markets with automated trust. 10XTS simplifies the secured issuance, tracking, and compliance of digitized real-world financial assets across global markets and jurisdictions. Better financial asset information management and security with more organization and tighter control helps everyone achieve a greater level of trust and more liquidity across all asset classes. To discover how 10XTS can help you enter the next economy, check out our site, 10XTS.com. That's 10XTS.com. Most of those landlords aren't rich. The, the building is leveraged and they purchased it and they're trying to keep it occupied and take care of it because that's what they're looking at as a retirement. You're witnessing a seismic shift as money itself is colliding with technology. It's forcing digital transformation in global capital markets. Governments aren't equipped to handle the pace of policy needs. Institutions aren't prepared for the acceleration towards digital assets powered by blockchain technology. Data science will drive more decisions as business, organizations, and leaders seek clarity. And now more than ever, we have an imperative to secure America's future. My name is Michael Hiles, and I am the CEO of 10XTS, a financial technology company. Along with my colleague, Jonathan Deaver, we explore the journey towards building the next economy. Welcome to the digital dollar. Hey everybody, it's Michael. And this is Jonathan Deaver, and welcome to another episode of The Digital Dollar. Hey Mike, uh, last week we had a great conversation with Jonathan Downs, uh, an attorney who represents small towns, cities, counties, municipalities, had some background at the state doing budgets, and it was really interesting, the conversation that we had. Yeah, it was a great episode and uh, learned a lot, put a lot of new vectors of thinking into my head around, you know, the unintended consequences of uh, state and local and cascades and a whole bunch of things. And I think that, uh, you know, I'm real excited to hear the follow up to that conversation with today's guest uh, that you uh, have, have brought to the table here. Uh, right. And, um, you know, one of the things that we were talking about last week, too, was the, you know, how the economy and the folks that are displaced from the workforce because they can't work, uh, that loss of revenue, that tax base from property taxes to income taxes and also sales taxes is going to have a, a negative impact on especially the smaller municipalities that don't have the ability. And I think you've got some information, too, about uh, some some municipalities yeah, right here in Ohio. I haven't confirmed it uh, myself with my own eyes, but it comes on pretty good authority that Cambridge, Ohio, announced they were in a fiscal state of emergency today. So, um, you know, how many other, the 3,700 approximate uh, small governments are in a, you know, red alert state right now it seems to be the first to drop and it wouldn't surprise me that they already had some fiscal issues going into this vector but this certainly won't be the last uh local government operation that's going to experience a major uh catastrophe here yeah i don't disagree and and getting the bonding that's going to be necessary to move forward is going to be a big challenge for a lot of them uh, yep. but hey you know for today i you know got a great 
guest today. Uh, his name is Charles Tassel. Uh, Charles Tassel is the uh, chief operating officer for the National Association of Real Estate Investors, and he also represents the Greater Cincinnati, Indiana, Kentucky Apartment Owners Association. And so he's got some really good information about how that waterfall effect that we've been talking about. Remember last week when I said you throw a pebble into a really deep body of water, that ripple just kind of, you know, it, it erases itself kind of and works its way out. But you put enough of a, a pressure on that on that water top and you and you don't have that deep, deep economy like or the deep ocean, then that wave can just build and build and build. And by the time it hits the shore, you've got this tsunami effect, right? And so Charles is with us today to talk about how the, these, these uh, policies and not only at the federal level, but a lot of these issues that are happening state by state by state as he represents all of these national people who own real estate as investors, whether it's, you know, they own a single family house or a duplex, a triplex, or it's a more of a commercial space where it's more than five units how these uh, policies are impacting and these decisions are impacting that segment. So with that, uh, Charles, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, um, Jonathan, Michael. Uh, appreciate it. I do. I'm chief operating officer for the National Real Estate Investor Association. And then I actually represent locally the Greater Cincinnati and Northern Kentucky Apartment Association. So we're affiliated with the National, but they, they speak for themselves on things. So I'll, I'll, I'll defer to them on that. Um, but thank you for having me on today. Fair enough. Uh, so we've been talking uh, about a lot of the different economic policies that have been put forward by the Treasury, the Small Business, the Small Business Administration, uh, specifically under CARES, and talking about the different bills that have come out. And really wanted to get your perspective representing investors and apartment owners, how these different programs are either helping or not helping, and what are some of the strains that your folks are seeing right now? Well, there's a, there's a couple different things. One is, first of all, and this term is almost used too much, but it's still true. Everything is fluid right now. Um, I can't say here's the exact number of people that are impacted, number of small businesses. Um, nationally, we represent over 40,000 small businesses across the country. And, and that's, that's just the owners themselves. Each one sometimes have two, three, four, ten 10 LLCs or small businesses of different types. And the impact that they are feeling is incredible. Um, we, we've likened it to the first time you're going up on a roller coaster and about the time you clear the trees and you're locked in and you keep hearing this click, 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 and you realize the hill's still up there and you're still climbing. How far it goes on the other side and the tension is just increasing and rising. And that's really where our folks are at right now. There's an inevitability of what's coming. We're not sure if it's going to be a big drop, a small drop, how many drops afterwards, it, it, but it's going to be a roller coaster that yep. we are all trying to strap in for because, you know, whether it's SBA and some of the funds that are coming out, um, I just heard this afternoon that Senator McConnell has said, we're committing to putting more funds, several more billion, because the $350 billion that was put forward for some of the programs has already been eaten up. Now, mind you, it's just opened up last week and the funds are already gone. Um, some of the programs even are still being developed under regulations and people who are applying saying, yeah, yeah, come in. Oh no, 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 you don't qualify. And that's, you know, if we start over-regulating this, 
it's going to, it's going to really sink this whole project and the project being the country, as far as the economy goes. Yeah, it's very uh, unsettling. Um, one of the things that we've looked at is particularly the social experiment of sending everybody home to work now where, you know, those who could remote work can. And um, people are discovering what that looks like. And we joke around and say, well, we software guys kind of wrote the book on working from the dungeon for a long time. So, <laughs> so we didn't know that our... Um, lifestyle had a term social distancing so uh, but um you know one of the things that we're eyeballing is what is the impact on commercial office space in particular where there's really literally no good reason for the organization to go sit in a cubicle and access computer systems and communicate and what's that look like in terms of your constituency and investors? Well, it, it's interesting because we've been over the last five to 10 years, even in doing rehabs and remodeling, there's a function of looking at, okay, when, when we were in college, I'm going to date myself here a little bit. It took several friends loading you up and loading up cars. You loaded up your stereo system. You loaded up your books. You loaded up this. Well, now it's on your computer, on your phone, and you got your laptop. Okay, now I got a bed. You know, I can't shrink that down, but I've lost 30% of what I would typically have. So I can have a 30% smaller space. So that's the direction a lot of housing was headed, and then a larger community area. Well, this change, and it's accelerating, do you work in a community area or do you work in, you know, as you mentioned in the dungeon, you know, I have a, a basement office as well. And it's nice in some sense. I'd like to see sunlight at some point, but that's one of those things a lot of people are trying to struggle with and, and deal with right now because, you know, we were just talking about a couple in Seattle that have 700 square foot, two kids and they're supposed to, and by the way, the two toddlers and they're supposed <laughs> to be working from home. <laughs> No, well, anybody who's a parent knows that doesn't work real well. Well, so, even even with even with two boys in grade school, we're having teams. that that yeah. challenge. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a challenge. So, but working through that, I think there's going to be a lot of businesses though, and individuals who say this does work for me. We've been able to do this, and I want to do more, whether it's all the time or more distance type. Um, but that's going to change what the modeling looks like for when rehabs are done. So about a third of our members do rehabbing. And so when they're rehabbing a building or a house, that cubbyhole nook might become more office space and functional space rather than, eh, it's just a little cubbyhole, you know, and, and transitioning. Or does that small one bedroom become, you know, an extra office and designed as an office rather than as a bedroom? So Say, those Charles, are things I've yeah. Hey, Charles, I've got a, an interesting question that kind of dovetails into that. So as you're looking at some of the new SBA programs that are out there, there's a, one specifically that allows for the financing of a new building or a project. And the terms look very, very appealing. Um, has your membership opined on, on that particular program? It looks to me that although the CARES Act may not help the payroll side of a landlord because of, for obvious reasons, um, but for management companies, it kind of looks like the payroll plan should work, but specifically on that, that, that new loan program for the acquisition of real estate, 
How is your, how's your membership receiving that? And how do you see that working as we move forward? Well, it's the initial first blush is it looks really good. And let me back up to say SBA has, you know, kind of nine different loans out there and programs out there that they've had over the years. And what CARES did was literally took adrenaline, some would say cocaine, and shoved it into some of this and just said, okay, go. And, you know, whether it's the economic injury disaster loan, which some people are now calling the $10,000 grant loan, or, you know, because that's what you do is you apply for it and ask for 10 grand and see if you can get it, basically. And the first million applicants will receive 10 grand as a grant, that's, that's a little bit of incentive to get in there and do some paperwork. But the next step is the SBA 7 loan or 7A loan. 7A paper, yeah. Yeah, and that 7A loan, it does allow for rehab. It does allow for purchase of real estate. And uh, again, you've got some good timeframes in there that expanded the timeframes. You still have the Small Business Administration's limits on um, finances. And then they've cut out a lot of the, the initial application fees. And ideally, it's supposed to be expedited. So instead of taking three, six, eight weeks or more, it's supposed to be rapid. Now, you know, the proof's going to be in the pudding whether or not that actually turns around and does that quickly. If it does, this could really help. And here, here's what I mean. Um, so across the country, there's affordability and anti-eviction efforts that have been just pushing as themes for the last couple of years. Um, there's a book that came out of Milwaukee. Don't recommend purchasing it. You can read it at the library if you want. It's called Evicted. And it created this big sob story about how someone who didn't work and didn't pay their rent got evicted and were supposed to feel bad for them because they were spending it on what money they did have in alcohol and drugs. How that actually makes sense to say, therefore, we should sympathize with the person who's being evicted makes no sense to me. Having said that, now that we're reaching a point where, oh my word, there's what, another 10 million people unemployed. Well, initially, the, the knee-jerk reaction by politicians is right off the bat, ban all evictions. Well, we can all say, okay, let's, we need to put some moratoriums in place. Let's, let's breathe a little bit here. As they say, we're all in this together. On the human side of it, we do need to work together. And our membership from a good, you know, just a best management practices, we're doing workouts. We asked our, member, our residents, reach out to the residents, talk to them, find out if there's a problem early, get a workout in place. You're not replacing your lease. You're just doing a workout to figure out until we get through this and, and start getting back to a normal economy. It's going to take some time. But literally the knee-jerk reactions were no evictions at all. Well, mm. that also means for behavior, for crime, for right. like the guy who got on a you know drunken rampage at 3 a.m. at my property last Sunday evening and decided to tear our mailboxes up and literally was so um, violent and threatening to the other residents that they said, we'll testify against him. They actually called the police. They spoke to the detectives afterwards and went up. Mm. That, that usually doesn't happen. Usually they wow. squeal wow. to us and then don't want to say anything else. This guy was over the top. So, but there's no way to evict him. Mm. There is no way to move forward with that. And we're finding that across the country with this knee jerk reaction. So, we have to address that because here's the problem. If we continue with a no eviction process, at some point there's a no payment process that really sinks into right. people's heads. And now you start saying, okay, no rent's being paid. So the mortgages on those properties aren't being paid. Right. And now 
yes, there will be three, five, 10% of people out there that have their mortgages paid off. Congratulations, great. You guys might weather this. The other 90%, however, have mortgages. That's and when right. those mortgages start to default, now we're going back to a 2008, 2009 housing type crisis where mortgage defaults, and I'm talking not just on multifamily, I'm talking single families that are rented and multifamilies that are rented. Those start going to mortgage defaults. Now we're talking about a structural issue that pushes the crisis into multi-years and another, we start another whole nother generation of this. Hey Charles, I got one question for you and it relates to that because I think it's also helpful if um, the listeners could understand how many housing units we're talking about here. So just for big picture, when you're under, when you're a one to four family, you can get traditional financing, right? FHA, VA, et cetera. And I think one of the things that's lost here is that although the federal government has said, look, if you've got a government backed loan, we're going to give you uh, some breathing room up to a year, but there's also going to be a cliff at the end of the year, right? Where you're going to have to refinance or you're going to have to modify the loan or you're going to have to come up with a full year's worth of payments. We don't know what that's going to look like. That's down the road, but there's also a lot of conventional loans that aren't covered. So what about those folks? Well, and that's it. And actually those, the federal side of it, whether it's the FHA, you know, insured, um, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, that's actually a very limited part of the economy. Um, most people do not have those. Uh, whether it's the insurance companies that provide long-term uh, financing for some of the larger properties, to hard money lenders that are holding it for a smaller property, to your local banks, your community banks that are holding these loans, um, that's who's really gonna be hurt by this. It's, it's, it, it's, it's not just like, hey, it's only one small sector. The government support out there is not that broad on all this rental property. And so by stopping the rents, you stop the mortgages and you start a mortgage default rate that's going to skyrocket. And folks, we're in for a wild ride at that point. Yeah, right. Um, one of the things that I've kind of been seeing hit the radar is, is how is Airbnb accelerating some of the impact i saw that you know they just obtained a phenomenal amount of emergency funding from their existing institutional vcs and investors but what is the impact on all of these folks that have you know, bought into the whole uh on-demand rental properties and there's an awful lot of paper floating around out there as a you know, consequence of that industry and literally nobody is traveling. You know, realtor.com actually just came out with a interesting article on that. And they picked up kind of the top tourist destination points. And whether it's Airbnb or one of the other, you know, dozens of programs that are similar, people who own those vacation rentals or short-term rentals, <laughs> they were losing or losing occupancy back at the first of March. Mm -hmm. And even though they're not looking at hundred percent occupancy, they might be looking at 40, 60, 70%, or they're looking at, Hey, I've got a peak time during this time of the year. Those peaks mm -hmm. are gone it's flat. Right. And, and, and right now, you know, I, I know of several companies that have canceled all travel through July, some through August conferences that, would have been backed up, maybe are, are gone. They're canceled for the year. When we start looking at Olympics and other things being canceled, this is not just a, hey, it's a little move back in time. These are millions and billions of dollars that are not going to be spent, not going to be purchased. And 
these short-term rentals are going to take it on the chin. Huh. Well, and I guess it comes back to the paper and the banks, which is part of our conversation here is the segue into the next phase of currency. Right. So we're also simultaneously tracking what's going on at the Fed and the current debt load and the current uh, currency policy itself and the impact on on the cascading debt. And, you know, people are losing their bases for their models by the hour as I as I'm watching all of this right now. Jonathan, we spend a fair amount of that conversation and, you know, that cascades even over into some of your constituencies like the hard lenders. Right. Who's buying the. Well, going to buy well Mike, paper. even well, even right now, I mean, if you look at Bloomberg today, they were talking about, uh, you know, because of the pandemic, you've got folks skipping home loan payments as of the first of the month. Uh, REITs are dumping uh, these mortgage portfolios right now. Uh, they're looking at 20, 30 percent losses right now in some cases already. And we're only into the first part of of the month. So the paper on this thing is is getting very, very interesting. And, and Charles, I, I think what folks probably don't understand is how important the real estate market is to the economy. It's the largest driver of, of wealth. Uh, my favorite book when I was a younger kid was reading about Ray Kroc and McDonald's. And I wasn't reading it because I liked Happy Meals and double cheeseburgers, but um, because he, he was a business genius. And there's a quote that said, you know, what do you, you know, you're in the burger business. And he said, no, I'm not. I'm in the real estate business. The burgers pay the bills. So could you kind of tell us a little bit more about that? Because I think people need to understand that the security and the stability of the paper that supports you guys is really important right now. So I'll give you a pair of 12s. And this is, this is a work, kind of work off from this. The small um, rental property owner is the largest small business in America. So as I say that, there's over 12 million of those owners and they own one, two, three, four units. Um, our part-timers own up to 14 units. Kind of the people who are getting into it full-time will own up to 40, 50, a hundred or so. That's, that's kind of the niche of folks who are in our business building portfolios and growing. And when you look at it, real estate, depending on which number you use is right around 12% of the GDP. So if you start having, you know, that percentage of the GDP contracting and, and it doesn't just contract in residential. It starts contracting in single family residential. It contracts in multifamily residential. And then you start contracting Mixed in use. commercial yep. and, and retail has not been strong for a while. So, you know, that continues to contract. This, this is really problematic. There's a reason that the governors and the president are out there saying, Hey, go, go out to these restaurants and go, you know, buy takeout food and stuff. It's because they realize that, you know, we are reaching a point where the, the cure is worse than the disease. Yeah, unfortunately. We're only in April. Yeah, we're only in April, and they're telling us this could go on again in multiple waves, and I don't – so the interesting thing is, is I had a conversation earlier today where, uh, you know, with some family office discussions, they're excited because they're looking at, you know, bargain basement you know, swoop in and, you know, buy when there's blood in the street approach. And, you know, they're like all ramping up on, hey, how do we get price discovery for low frequency secondary market transaction based assets? And, you know, what does that look like on the, 
concentration of wealth because that's my concern is real estate investing is probably one of the lowest hanging fruit for wealth creation for the average person to get into um, to go from being a non-accredited investor to an accredited investor for other types of economic opportunities. You know, 30% of our membership is actually um, minority, minority owned. So when you have that percentage and then if they start losing out, you know, typically we hear folks on the margins lose faster than those who aren't. And so we have a, a disparate impact on it as well. Um, there's, there's some serious problems out there that start to come along when we say, wait a second, this is, well, it's only going to affect these folks, these rich landlords. Well, most of those landlords aren't rich. The, the building is leveraged and they purchased it and they're trying to keep it occupied and take care of it because that's what they're looking at as a retirement and going out. So, you know, that, that's, that's what's on the chopping block to start off with. Now, are there folks who are saying, Hey, I've got some cash on the side. Okay. So what are you going to do with that cash? Um, whether it's the trillions that we're hearing coming through cares or, you know, the family's first program or, you know, even some of the initial stuff that just went to the government is that money really getting to people who can purchase? Is it really getting to, to properties that are going to be stabilized or is it going to be tied up in red tape and go to wall street? And again, main street takes a dive. All good questions, Charles. All good questions. Yep. So one of the questions I think uh, uh, somebody else sent in to us to ask somebody that might have some knowledge on this. And I know you, you probably would be the right candidate and I know you typically deal with the uh, apartment side, but on the commercial side, there's also a huge concern. I, I remember a month ago when we were getting ready to shut down restaurants, I said, you know, look up here at the big mall that we have. All these restaurants there are going to not make their rent payments the 1st of April. Correct. And everybody said, oh, no, 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 that'll happen. These are small margin businesses, 10%. Mm -hmm. And they got to do a lot of volume. They've got to stay open. You know, if they're if they rely on a big festival and it doesn't happen, they're they're a weekend away from bankruptcy. Um, you know, Cheesecake Factory said they're not paying their rents and you've got, you know, you drive by our local mall here, it's a ghost town and right. all those tenants in there, low margin businesses. And, you know, my argument is the only thing that's moving is Amazon. So what do you, how do you see the the tenants that are in there and also those commercial landlords? How do you, how do you think that's all going to shake out and what can we be thinking about from not only a tech perspective, how to support them, but a public policy perspective to, to level this out because there's going to be a lot of pain to go around in another 30 days. Well, so let me answer that question by backing up in time a little bit. Um, December of 16, I believe it was, the Fed actually raised their rate about a half point. And a number of people looking around said, why are they raising the rate? What happened though was when they did that, we were one of the only interest bearing countries right. In the world. So capital flooded in South America right. took it on the chin from that because the money came out of South America, came out of other parts of the world. And you could either put your money into Germany or some of these other places where they said, sure, you can put a million dollars in, we'll give you $950,000 back. That's right. Or 990 or so, you know, and it was like, no, it's going to come to America. So money's been flowing in here. And the, the question is, is how do you keep it here now? And how do you keep real value to it? That's where I think there's going to be a concern because we were hitting cap rates on some of these commercial properties. They were pushing down into that five and 4% range. Those are pretty tight margins mm -hmm. and you can't have, we skipped a month of rent 
and still survive on those kind of margins, let alone start skipping two, three, four months and hey, our occupancies dropped by to 80%. It doesn't survive. And that's on some of the top quality properties, let alone, as I mentioned earlier, retail's been you know, squishy for a while as we've been through this transition or started to work through this transition of delivery. And I, I think there's a degree to which people are gonna go, I kind of like being able to be at home, hop online, send it, and it shows up. I'm enjoying that more. So we've, we've expedited it. We saw it in the last couple of Christmases, how much more we shifted over to purchases online. Now, let's face it. There are things that people are going to try. Um, I'm going to be called biased here, but my wife wants to go in and try it on. She wants to make sure it looks good before she buys it. Now, some places have overcome that because they'll do the shipping back and forth. Uh, I think some shoe stores, shoe places have done that. But how much is of our, of our uh, mental commercialism is going to change our commercial psychology, if you will, that's going to have an impact on the real estate industry. Sure. So we've got a lot of space out there that's going to change hands and change value because of that. So one of the things that I've seen stacking up here with all of this, particularly on the global, you know, call it uh, foreign policy, we, we get to talk to a lot of different kinds of really smart folks across a lot of industries and spectrums just by what we do. And then, you know, talking to a lot of the, the supply chain and the ERP folks right now, um, you know, we think that this might be a tipping point for risk mitigation for you know, serious consideration of supply chain to return operations back to the United States or at least, you know, diversify away from the labor arbitrage model that's over with, with regard to uh, China. And, you know, if there is a uh, resurgence of stimulus, stimulus designed to reverse that policy, what is that impact on the commercial real estate market when it comes to light industrial and, you know, even regionalized, decentralized manufacturing operations, you know, from a, a real estate standpoint. I, I think you're exactly right on that point, because that's, that's an area we were having a discussion. I was on with the uh, state of Texas last night, members down there. And one of the things we brought up and had discussions on even, even two years ago, there was even at that time, the idea to start bringing more companies back in, starting to move back in, uh, I will say that's something that President Trump is focused on. He wants, you know, everybody knows from when he picked up the phone and called in Indiana, hey, get your company back in the U.S. He was serious about that. Well, how does that then impact? Because here's what we have to look at is there's a lot of, and again, I'm, I'm speaking from a Rust Belt state, and there's a number of Rust Belt states that would love to have some of this rusty old factories redone. Mm -hmm. But are those going to be redone? Or is it a whole lot easier, instead of working with this concrete and steel monstrosity, to go, I'm going to go out there in the plains where it's nice and open, and I use plains as just an open area, and I'll build from scratch there. Yep. The one difficulty I think that might be fresh in people's minds is, you know, a month ago we were talking about unemployment being, you know, minimal. And if you could find a living, breathing employee who would show up on time and heaven forbid he actually right. spelled his name right right and did and pass and a drug test regularly right exactly so you know yeah you might want to build it out there because it's a whole lot easier but you've now got how are you going to get people out there 
Right. And, and I think that the businesses are starting to look a little more holistically about where they're going to, you know, the demographic that they need to work in their property, work in their industry is going to impact where they actually locate. Well, and I guess that you know cascades into the economic development conversation. You know, now you've got communities that have full economic development and relo and recruitment, and you know simultaneously these communities are trying to scramble to find revenue and cut costs simultaneously, right? And how do we bring in that tax base? And it's already competitive, and um, just not sure where that's going to go on the policy side. Jonathan, you know, you got any ideas on that as a former member and? Well, I'll tell you, I think this, um, you know, based on what Charles has kind of alluded to here and what we've been talking about, you know, this, if this pandemic uh, leads to kind of an end in the trend towards uh, globalization and we get into a deglobalization approach here um, where we're not depending on other countries for certain types of domestic products and services, I think if we start building everything here, you're going to see a couple of different things that'll kick off. One's going to be an increase in the cost of goods because, you know, normally muscle jobs go where muscle jobs are cheapest. And we know that certain things are not cheapest in the United States. So if, if we're really kind of looking at a, you know, everything's made in the USA, I think you're going to see some sort of an increase in the cost of goods and how that impacts that inflationary uh, impact for the folks that are on the bottom tier that's going to be something we're going to have to deal with. I mean, keep in mind that 80% of the world's population is literally paycheck to paycheck. doesn't matter what country they're in. They're 80% of the world's population. That means if you're getting paid weekly, you're one week away from not being able to pay your bills and eat. If you're paid monthly, et cetera, right? So the, that gets us back to the, the theme of our show, Mike, which is the digital dollar. I think that all of this stuff, all of these pieces um, are leading us that down that path because if we're deglobalizing, then we're putting our priority on our dollar, and we're you know how do you control inflation, right? How do you how do you do that with our current monetary policy? And I'd say, and I'd argue that it's easier if the central bank, you know, as in the Fed, has a digital currency because um, you know they're not really in the business of creating monetary policy at that point, right? They don't have to juggle all these things. They're not creating debt. They have an asset, which is what we do. We take assets and we make money out of assets, right? I mean, that's our premise is that we've got to get rid of this cycle of debt because the cycle of debt's what kills our mom and pop shops. It's what kills our, it's what's killing our economy right now, right? Is that debt cycle because we don't have the ability to pay for it right now. Yep. Um, and so I think that's, that's the real interesting part as this all comes together. But anyway, um, I want to thank Charles. I mean, you're a rock star. Thank you, sir. Appreciate you for coming on today. Definitely. It's always, it's always good to get the, the perspective of, uh, of landlords and property owners. I know real estate, I've always argued this is the backbone of our economy. I mean, Ray Kroc wasn't wrong. Um, and thank you. I appreciate your time today. Yeah. Thank, thank you, you. Gentlemen. I appreciate it. Thank you, Charles. Hey, it's Michael again. Jonathan and I will be right back for our retrospective and analysis of our conversation with our guest. But before we jump back in, I wanted to give you a quick shout out as a listener. Thank you. I also wanted to invite you to subscribe to our email inbox newsletter where you'll get alerts about new episodes there first, along with other industry and market news, insights, and analysis. 10XTS, that's 10XTS dot substack, S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K dot com. Go there, 10XTS dot substack dot com. 
It's free and it comes out at least once a week, sometimes more if things are really moving. We always try to put out stuff that helps folks navigate through the changes happening at light speed. 10xts.substack.com. Go there. All right, let's get back to the show. All right, what a great conversation. Uh, Charles is obviously a really bright guy and understands all the intricacies of what's going on as all of this policy impacts, in particular, the real estate folks. So um, I don't know, Jonathan, what were your thoughts? What jumps out at you immediately um, post-mortem on this? Well, I think it's kind of dovetailing into a lot of the conversations we're having where, you know, we're waking up tomorrow and the day after into a whole new world. Um, The things that we thought were going to work or have worked yesterday, a month ago, aren't going to be the same as we move forward. And, you know, for entrepreneurs and business owners and even people who are trying to find employment in this new environment, uh, things are going to change dramatically, quickly, fast. And I think the big piece and the big takeaway for me was that commercial space where those restaurants are there, those retail outlets are there, and they're not having the ability to pay their bills. And so what does that look like long term? I mean, how are people going to go back to what they did and how many aren't? And what is the economy going to look like? What type of businesses are going to rise? You know, that Phoenix always rises out of the ashes. Who's going to rise up? And what does that mean for local governments too? going back to even uh, our prior conversation with Mr. Downs? Like, how do you deal with uh, these huge malls and these huge uh, commercial complexes that were relying on those types of rents and revenues to pay their bills? And how is that going to transform our, our world? So I think that to me really stuck out. And I thought the other piece that he mentioned too, which was interesting is, you know, as more people are being forced to work from home, kind of like the tech model, right? That you always like to talk about um, how they're going to be redesigning and thinking about living space and how much stuff people are going to own and what kind of things are actually going to be needing from, uh, from their landlords or from their housing needs. So really good. I think two really interesting, but different perspectives. Yeah. And the the thing that jumps out at me with all of this is I guess, you know, maybe I'm naive or even nostalgic at some level at this point, but I'm an American. I love my country and I feel like America and its people and its economy and its ingenuity and all of the things that, you know, as much as people might not like about America, you, you know, let's not just throw the baby out with the bathwater here and it's all bad and we got to just change it all for the sake of change. Um, there's some really amazing things about our nation and I feel like there's going to be a phenomenal opportunity to attract and continue to attract capital. And he talked about that. You know, we talked about the, you know, in the, the zero yield environments, um, where will the, the international capital flow in. And I think that that gives us some idea of, of hope, right? Um, people I should- agree. I agree. I, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, the one thing that makes our country great is we are a nation of law and our rights come from us. Right? We, our rights are ours. They're not given to us by, some authoritarian regime. They're not given to us by a monarchy or a dictator. They're ours. And that's the beauty of our country is that 
we all consent to be governed and it's up to us to manage that. And there's a lot of risk associated with that on a personal level, but there's also a ton of reward. And the one thing that I love about the entrepreneurial spirit and the fact that we get to wake up and make choices in our lives. I mean, Mike, you know this. I mean, I've traveled the world. You have too. I've been to a lot of different countries and you go to places and you're born and where you're born is where you're going to die. That socioeconomic class is where you're going to end up. And there's not much you can do about it. There's no access to education for certain classes of folks. There's not access to internet or, I mean, I was thinking about it today. It's like inside of my cell phone, I have enough power to start a business and build a brand and get known anywhere in the world. If I just take the time to educate myself and learn how to leverage it. I mean, you could go onto YouTube and learn everything, right? Learn how to make a podcast, learn how to make a video, learn how to do marketing. Um, You could learn how to make just about anything. Um, The DIY world wouldn't exist really if it weren't for YouTube guys showing you how to cut a board straight or how to frame out a window, et cetera. Right. So we live in this really amazing place where we have access to all these things. And so as we're listening to these different folks talk about how this event is taking a toll in some respects, but also breathing life into change. It's really fascinating. I mean, like in our space, I mean, think about it. We've got public policy changing at lightning speed. Things that are happening right now would never have happened but for that. Uh, The fact that people are looking at their assets as a way to improve their life instead of using debt to improve their life, that's a fundamental transformation of the way people are thinking. It's, It's amazing and it's all happened in a month. Absolutely. And it bodes well for us as a, you know, in particular for the types of solutions that we provide, because it confirms for me that we've had the right headed thinking about this going back years. You know, so from when we saw where things could end up and would likely end up, well, it's kind of like we just stomped on the gas pedal and hit <laughs> hit some high RPMs, you know, and it's, um, it's really interesting as a solutions provider and as an architect, you know, somebody that's asked to come in and solve complex, big, large scale problems. I feel like we've, you know, really you know, made the right bets at the right time. So now it's just a function of reaching out and getting the word out to folks like the impacted real estate investors, the the folks that are trying to navigate through this digital transformation that's going to take place and impact all of their industry. How can, you know, we help serve them, right? Oh, that- right. And like, just to think about what, you know, what you've built in this, platform and the ability to say no to debt and yes to assets. I mean, to take your, just the conversation we had the other day with a, with a a fellow who owns a apartment building and he owes all this money to the bank and he knows that he's got to make a change because the economy is changing overnight. Every hour of every day you wake up and you're behind by weeks if you're not paying attention daily. And the ability to say, you know, that financial intermediary between the Fed and me, which is the traditional bank, that's changing right now, right in front of our eyes. And the need for a traditional lending environment is not going to be the same tomorrow or in a month from now as it was at the beginning of March. It's, we are changing so quickly. And 
to be able to leverage technology and and use things like blockchain and crowdfunding, these concepts that we've been talking about for years now, and to take those concepts and put them together and say, we can do this for you and you can do it more importantly for yourself. A huge different way of thinking about things, right? Like that asset of mine has a value that I can quantify and I can use to to build and to grow and to get better and stronger, whether it's for my family, whether it's for my retirement future, or whether it's for my business. It's really neat stuff. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's bring this one to a close. I think we've uh, hammered on this one long enough. Coming up soon, we're going to have future new guests on to further this discussion about uh, building the next economy. Um, Who's in the pipeline, Jonathan? Who are we going to talk to next? Well, we still have a couple of guys that we're trying to get get scheduled, but we've got some great fellows in the pipeline. Uh, We've got a a fellow who's a a former naval commander, uh, CEO of Fortune 500 companies. I mean, he took a he took a local business here that did 40 million in revenue and turned it into a billion dollar company. Um, He's going to come and talk to us a little bit about uh, his background and what the repo market was really all about. And then also some of the things that have been flying around the stock buybacks, right? From what happened last year and and this year and what that really means and the different um, things that happen behind the scenes and how that impacts those companies and how it gives you an an inside look at whether that company is solid or whether it's weak. So that'll be a fascinating one. And we still have Troy on deck, trying to get him to come on here pretty soon. Troy's going to be really talking about some capital markets. So we've got some good stuff coming and more folks on the way. Absolutely. All right. I guess we're going to call this one a wrap. Thanks for joining. This episode is brought to you by 10XTS. 10XTS is powering the next generation of capital markets with automated trust. 10XTS simplifies the secured issuance tracking and compliance of digitized real-world financial assets across global markets and jurisdictions. Better financial asset information management and security with more organization and tighter control helps everyone achieve a greater level of trust and more liquidity across all asset classes. To discover how 10XTS can help you enter the next economy, check out our site, 10XTS.com. That's 10XTS.com. 